Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uktana, and today we'll be looking at the actual anatomy of an Akashic room and how each area can be used. While you're living an embodied life, your Akashic room presents a comprehensive model of your current self and who you're becoming. It represents the entirety of you from birth to the present day, your goals yet to be achieved, the dreams you strive for, your hopes, and the opportunities which are still forming. This not only reflects your current emotional and physical aspects, but much deeper and more overarching themes such as how you perceive yourself in leadership roles, in community and social aspects, how you engage in self-care, what you are and are not becoming in relationships, who you are in both your family of origin and of choice, and so on. Each item presented is an expression of some aspect of you. Your room can teach you deep insights into why you perceive things in a certain way, what a relationship has to teach you, why a pattern of behaviors or events is ongoing, what things you are holding deep inside where they cannot be seen, even by you, and anything else you wish to know about you. This is a safe place where no one can come unless you invite them. It's a place where you can choose to have conversations with the guides who support you in embodied life, where you can talk candidly with your animal guides, where you can practice various spiritual techniques or open yourself to in-depth connection with objects or books. All too frequently, people skip past their room without even noticing they've done so. They move past the door, notice something random like odd bits of living room furniture which seem out of place, then arrive at outdoor spaces which are lush, dynamic, and engaging. Because the meditation says they're now in their room and to explore, they assume this outdoor environment is what is meant, even though they're in nothing which resembles a room at all. The room being referred to is actually behind them. What appears as a wall was a brief flash of their room as they passed through at lightning speed. Other students do see the room they arrive in, but discount it as a foyer with generic items which hold no meaning. However, in the Akashics, there's no foyer, which you enter first before encountering your room, nor will the space you arrive in be generic or irrelevant. Whether plain or extravagant, the room you enter will be your room. If you immediately move to an outdoor space, recognize you've shot past the mark. Your room has walls, all four of them, and doors, windows, and a floor. Look behind you, and you should see your room with the door open, inviting you back. There are a variety of ways an Akashic room can be experienced, depending on the need of the soul. Some people experience their room as completely empty. It stands as a blank canvas to be written on while they progress in their personal and Akashic work. Others see a different room each time, the room adjusting like an actor playing many parts, changing costumes to reflect the moment. Some will experience the room as if they've entered a movie somewhere in the middle of the story. 
each meditation will be a new scene or episode unfolding a rich and complex lesson or story for them. Most will experience their room in the same manner as they do their physical homes, unchanging other than by their own or their family's actions and devices. This is not to say the room remains static. Akashic rooms are directly tied to our embodied lives. Therefore, the furnishings and decorations change to reflect the changes in and around us. This is useful in general to validate whether something we're doing is having the effect we want or can be helpful in deciphering what ongoing changes mean for us at the spiritual and emotional levels. No matter how they're furnished or whether they're furnished at all, most Akashic rooms are composed of five different sections or areas. Casual seating or living area, dining room, bedroom, workshop, and open available space. Each area has a specific focus, but also multiple uses. These allow us to reconnect with and even explore our essential nature while simultaneously helping us manifest our soul purpose and best life. How these areas are arranged within the room is in some ways indicative of the individual's personality, as well as how they choose to interact in the world. What is most important or most comfortable to the person will usually be central to the room, and where they spend the most time when they're there. Areas less comfortable or used will be towards the entry door. Those most pertinent will be towards the far door, which gives access to other areas in the Akashics. The casual seating or living area is designed for conversations with other beings. These can be the person's guides, angels, healers, gods or goddesses, soul group members, family members who have crossed over, and more. What furniture and objects are there reflect the way in which we wish to or are able to connect with these others. Some people find comfortable chairs and couches with rugs and a coffee table. Others find tea sets or low ottomans with cushions on the floor. Many people have fireplaces off to the side. Whether or not there are active flames in the fireplace is relevant in a variety of ways, from showing the home fires are burning, to the amount of self-care and inner well-being a person feels or doesn't, to whether the person feels at home in their life. Tables and the mantle of the fireplace are spaces where objects of importance may be displayed or manifestation projects activated. Dining room areas will contain some kind of table and dining room chairs. Students are often confused by these at first because, unlike current styles, they're often reminiscent of grand banquet tables from medieval castles. They can seat 8 to 12 people, are often made of what appears to be heavy woods, and the chairs will be a bit ornate or substantial in some way. This is because the area is not for simple food intake, but instead functions as a gathering place which focuses on planning and creating. Like King Arthur's Round Table, the dining area allows us to gather our guide team or any others who are working to help us problem-solve or manifest. The larger surface provides space for each being to visually present their ideas, suggestions, or input. Ideas can literally be passed amongst all those gathered, changed, molded, connected with others, or discarded, and the results formed into an item which can eventually be moved into the living area to be activated. 
The bedroom area is a place for deep personal study and evolution. Everything about how it's arranged, what furniture is in it, and how it makes us feel points towards who we truly are beyond the circumstances of this embodied life. Each will have a bed or a sleeping apparatus of some kind, a small bedside table, and a box or trunk or large bag. The bed itself is not a place for rest, but rather a means for accessing information about the nature of our soul. It can be where we reconnect to our higher self, gain insights into why we came into this life, and learn more about life beyond linear time. In or on the small table will be, among other things, a tablet. This has what amounts to an app which accesses the relationship information in our soul book and makes it easier to understand and utilize. The box or trunk or large bag is like a magic box from a fairy tale. Being apparently bottomless, it will contain tools we need to understand and walk our path. These will change depending on what aspects of things we're focused on at any given moment. Opening the box can be a bit like being in a cartoon. If what we're working with includes a canoe, then we will pull an entire life-size canoe out of a box which obviously is much smaller. If we need to be reminded that our personal welfare comes first so we can be healthy enough to help others, then all kinds of self-care reminders will be provided in a never-ending stream like clowns emerging from a clown car. The workshop space is an area specifically for manifesting. It always has a blank wall or TV for projecting images, a place to write lists, a spot for modeling like an architect building a scale model of their designs, and often a pile of items which the eye skips over until they're ready to work through a question or issue. It can be handy to think of this area a bit like a desk with a computer on it or a craft or art area. It's someplace where the person takes in information and inspiration and begins to form it into a plan of action, or even begins creating a finished project. What-if questions can be posed to the wall and possibilities or opportunities will be displayed. Plans for further education, new careers, relationship goals, or financial planning can be mapped out here. Items from the pile can be selected to represent people, situations, or physical things in embodied life. When placed on a surface, they'll adjust their shape to become a miniature of that exact thing. It's interesting and important to note how they do so because this will not necessarily reflect the will or thoughts of the person, but instead the reality of the situation or person or item. This can be key as it gives further insight into various aspects and dynamics of the situation in question. Finally, the open and available space is just that. Often it's the center of the room and where people meet their animal guides before heading off to the next experience. It can be filled with furniture and items representing some aspect of the person's life which is being ignored but shouldn't be. Or it can be set with things which are trying to get our attention as their key to heading us further and more securely on the path to our best life. It can be completely empty and available for us to do work with a healer, participate in ceremony with higher-level beings, or delve into deeper spiritual pathwork with aspects of the universe, such as the chakras, planets, sephirot, yantras, and so on. Something to keep in mind 
is each item in your room is not only a symbol, but a source of information. Like a book, computer, or tablet, each one is full of information, all experiential, all of which will unfold like a 3D movie or even like a direct injection into your consciousness if you open up to this level of connection and interaction. To do this, simply place your hands on the item. This includes furniture, curtains, wall hangings, structures like fireplaces, and so on. Hold the item or place your hands on it, then focus your attention on it like you would someone having a conversation with you. Look the object in the eyes, as it were, to show you're listening. Unlike a soul book where you come to ask a question or any other informational book where you ask to be able to read the information, an item only requires your attention, which is the Akashic equivalent of saying, hi, how are you? I find the human mind infinitely fascinating. The ways in which it makes meaning, filtering out things and highlighting others, connecting one thing here and another there, skipping over things altogether in favor of something else, all of which builds a rich tapestry the individual uses to experience and understand the world. How people work with objects in the Akashics is one way in which this shows clearly, like putting an egg in food coloring highlights all the nooks, crannies, and striations in the shell. Working with objects is one of the first things I have students do in my Akashic Level 1 class, in part because it's the easiest way to get message both visually through the particular object and also via direct communication. The objects merge with us physically through being held, and so can impart information with ease. However, actually working with objects is one of the last things most students do, if they do it at all in favor of focusing on their soul book where the communication is weightier and the techniques a bit more advanced. I'm always interested in students' descriptions of their first three weeks in the Akashics for this reason. This is where they're focused on their personal room and their personal object, learning the difference in being grounded during Akashic work versus not, coming into a deeper relationship with sacred space and how it can be an engine for the work as well as a conduit for the work's manifestation into the world. Some people notice their room has objects in it. Some have no interest in their room at all. Some are so uninterested they skip past the room as quickly as possible in order to reach other areas which feel more relevant and comfortable. It's also interesting to me how people are resistant to receiving the simpler, more direct, and less impactful means of communicating, which is offered by objects, but seek out the more difficult task of reading a soul book with fervor. This is in part because they have questions they want to have answered, but it's also in part because of how we've been taught to receive information. Indigenous cultures, which rely on oral transmission of information and direct experience, are comfortable working with objects and seeing the web of connection amongst all things. Literate cultures rely heavily on written information and secondarily on experience or the experience of others. So books are deemed to have the answers and objects are just things to have or to use. However, the items in your room have meaning, but not only as symbols. Students sometimes seek to create quick or surface-level labels for things in their room and move on. For example, this represents my sister, this is my work, this means I'm struggling with finances, and so on. 
The quick labeling of things allows for a feeling of competency and control, because once we've named a thing, we think we know all there is to know. However, just as you're a complicated and complex being with many facets, which are constantly in movement or in the process of developing, your room reflects this complexity and depth. Each item, when touched, will begin to unfold the wisdom, meaning, and interconnectivity it holds. A cursory inspection of any room will provide a wealth of surprises and access to transformative insights. In the Akashics, working with items is exactly like a conversation. You're as much a part of things as the item, not a passive recipient unless you choose to be. Just like any other conversation, sometimes the party talks slowly, sometimes in a convoluted manner, sometimes too fast, sometimes above our head, and so on. So if things are not quite in sync, you can ask for a change. If you don't understand what's being imparted, you shouldn't assume this is for some purpose any more than the confusing directions a friend gives you. More than likely, the item is assuming certain information is already known, or you might just be missing something in the process. A quick follow-up question will resolve the matter. Your Akashic room has a tremendous amount of wisdom to share and provides a wealth of opportunity for you to unfold in all aspects of your life. What will you discover there? And that's all the time we have this week. Next week, we'll be delving into the ways Akasha can help us heal core issues and remove stuck energy. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it by subscribing on Patreon. You can find all my offerings and get regular updates about what I'm working on at patreon.com slash Thanks. Bye.